Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes your favorite apparently heterosexual films and demonstrates why that is in fact not the case. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. And this week we decided to do something that we have never done before in the course of this podcast, which is actually fulfill a promise that we made. <laughs> a veiled uh, promise. A veiled promise. Yeah. We, we were sitting and we were thinking, what if after mentioning that we were going to do a movie, we actually then did it? Yeah. And at the risk of becoming predictable, we decided to, in fact, do it this time. Yeah. So we are talking about the 2019 version of Little Women, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh, a bunch of other people. Mm, Laura Dern, briefly Meryl Streep. Yes. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. It is a really great cast. It is a good cast. Oh, Emma Watson. <laughs> And then that was also there's Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's here as well. She's also present. Um, yeah, but we mentioned it, it came up last week because there was a sort of very obvious comparison to draw between the other thinly veiled writer writes a fictional biography of their own childhood and then the film adaptation, like, you know. Does it. <laughs> does, yeah, treads that line between what is written and what is remembered. And um we decided to, yeah, just continue on with the theme. And really, I was thinking about this a multi-week theme because Charity yes. Fire also was about. Yes, well, and also it's almost Mansfield Park as well. We've yeah. actually just, we've been doing it. We've been doing it for all of 2021. But I mean, this time we really couldn't wriggle out of it because we we mentioned this adaptation of Little Women whilst talking about David Copperfield roughly 500 times. So yeah. it was just like, it was written. It was, it was written. It was time. I mean, is what we're saying is that writers are gay. Yes, we've said it before. We'll say it again. All of them. Everyone. Gay. Every single one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Little Women. Um, mm. As you mentioned last time, uh, you have not seen this version because you are devoted to the 90s adaptation and also the book. Um, yes. here's, my, here's my Little Women tale for you. Uh, oh, please. When I was a kid, I was reading it and my cousin told me that Beth died and I was sad about that like before I'd finished and you know how it's like it's broken into two parts yeah I got to the end of part one and I was like well you know what this seems like a perfectly satisfying ending and I'm gonna stop here <laughs> and never I didn't ever read the second part until I was like 20. I'm obsessed with what that means about you as a person. I really want to just halt the episode right now and go on like a really long armchair psychology digression about what it means that child Haley got to the end of like the Christmas part where the dad comes back from the war and everything's fine and no one is married yet and was like, that's enough. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's what Joe wishes she could do. So she desperately does. That's very sweet. Um, and then I did see the 90s movie once or twice, but uh, not it was not a sort of object of devotion for me as I believe it was for you. And then I saw this movie, uh, this is the last movie I saw before the world ended. Yes. And I really enjoyed it. Yes. Should I do the, the matching uh, history of? Sure. Oh, well, I do feel I must say. Um, I So I read the book uh, a bunch of times as a kid. I read it out loud to my mother when I was Aww. like 11. And uh, yeah, I was also in it in high school and, you know, it was sort of little women adjacent for a long time. I saw that. So 
and when I say I read the book a bunch of times as a kid, I also like identified with it so strongly that I forced a whole group of my friends to form the Pickwick Society. And, <laughs> and like, like we literally did the thing and started a fake newspaper and like, you know, did the monocles and top hats and pipes thing. So like a lot happened. It was great. Uh, there was very little to do in Central California in the 90s. And um, I loved the the 90s adaptation with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale and Susan Sarandon and everybody else alive, Claire Danes, Gabriel mm-hmm. Byrne. And um, yeah, it in a complicated way, that adaptation of Little Women was a sort of queer awakening for me as a young, as a young thing. And so it's interesting, I will probably reference it. I, I will inescapably reference it because it colored so much of how I feel about the characters and because I feel like it accomplishes, I feel like it renders a lot of the weird queer energy that does exist even in the book, I think, um, really, really well. So Mm -hmm. I had, I had complicated feelings about this adaptation. And um, yeah, so that was an interesting place to come at it from such a different, um, you know, such a different take. I feel like I've dragged so many movies that you like and made me watch that if you if you feel the need to Thank drag you. this movie, I'll just take off my headphones and let you do it. Thank you. It's okay. I will not be a dick about it. I will, as we get into it, I think it'll, I, I genuinely am finding it interesting to consider the things that worked for me about this adaptation and the things that didn't as much mm-hmm. because of how well I feel like I know the characters from the novel, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so yeah, but it's super, super fascinating take on the stiff. Yeah, so why don't we dive into a plot summary of sort of yeah. what this take does. Yeah. Um, I think the sort of key feature is that it uh, presents the story of Little Women in a sort of jumbled chronology. So we begin with Joe, a young writer <laughs> living in New York, kind of selling her first lurid adventure stories um, and kind of receiving word from home about like, oh, her sister's unwell, her other sister's in Paris, her other sister's married, like, you know, the background of her family life is going on back home in Concord. Uh, and it sort of segues, it, basically the kind of two strands of the plot are Joe going back home because her sister Beth is dying um, and, you know, dealing with the kind of repercussions of that in her family home and her memories of her childhood and her, you know, childhood best friend Lori, who in the kind of present day timeline is in Paris with her sister Amy and kindling a romance and sort of bopping back and forth between the just kind of like idyllic images of growing up in Concord with her sisters and the way that all kind of began to unravel as, you know, her sisters got married and fell ill and life changes, et cetera. Right. Um, and so then Beth dies, everyone's very sad, especially Joe. Um, she's like, never gonna write again, but then decides to tell the story of her sisters and her childhood and write a book um, that gets published. And, you know, she, I guess I've sort of left out. She also gets married, <laughs> question mark. Well, her like, there's a man in her boarding house in New York, they Professor Bear, who she possibly marries. And one of the sort of things the movie does, and I think it's always the reason that it has the kind of unclear chronology, not unclear, but un- non-linear chronology that it has is to leave you, in my opinion, in doubt over whether or not 
Joe and Professor Bear actually marry or whether that's an ending she invents mm-hmm. for her book mm-hmm. under pressure from her publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends with her sort of embracing the published story of her sisters. Mm. The end. The end. I mean, there's obviously lots of incidents, but again, it's another yeah. one of these that like, it's episodic in certain ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's full of incidents. I found it interesting that they um, they put seven years between the two timelines of the story, and they make that really clear with text, like with mm. with um, with supertitle, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and um, I thought that was interesting because I couldn't remember uh, if that was the exact number from the novel, but it helped. It helped me keep track of where we were in watching it, just in terms of um, mm-hmm. you know the yeah seven there the past is not so distant, but it's just enough for for everyone to be, for life to have significantly changed, you know, but it is just seven years, you know, it's an an interesting number. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the specificity makes it think it must be from probably, probably, but it was, it was interesting because, you know, I had heard some people, um, complain about finding the nonlinear structure difficult to follow because well it's like adaptations of little women always sort of struggle with the thing of like how do you do the childhood selves versus the older selves and Mm seven years on film made me sort of be like, oh, well, they wouldn't look dramatically different because seven years doesn't really dramatically change your appearance unless you're like a young teenager and then you're 20. Right, which is why the other version only double casts Amy. Amy. Exactly. And and which is why, as we mentioned when we watched it, I think the only piece of casting that suffers from the timeline is Amy because she seems far too old for the stuff that she does as a child who's supposed to be 12. Yes, though I think it's interesting. I mean, like it's something that we talked about uh, with David Copperfield was sort of wanting the narrative to play more with his subjectivity as a writer Mm -hmm. and like let us raise more questions about the sort of truth of what he is telling. And there's a Mm -hmm. moment at the end of the movie that sort of makes me think we're meant to be Hmm. thinking in those terms or sort of to belatedly realize we should have been thinking in those terms with this story, which is as Joe at the very end is sort of watching them printing her book and assembling her book and she like holds it and she sort of flashes to this memory of a bunch of girls, like obviously her and her sisters playing, you know, in their Pickwick Society outfits, but it's children, like a group of children who we've never seen before. And there was something about that image that made me think if this is the real them that she is sort of remembering in this moment, like how, to what extent are we meant to be reading the versions of them we've been seeing all this time as like- Through her very limited perspective. Yeah, and like sort of inevitably covered, colored by who they grew up to become. So like Amy is always kind of the Amy that she is now. Right. Not, you know, an actual 12 year old version of herself. Yeah. Mm. Um, Which, yeah, I think that sort of, it's, I think that the chronology does a lot of interesting and useful things to sort of shake any sense of like, what what are we seeing? Like when and how are these things happening and mm. how true are the things that are happening? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it ultimately, it does, which is why we're talking about it now, it does what David Copperfield does that we spoke about last week of making the, the content like making the making the style the content you know mm-hmm. what I mean like that's what happens when you make a writer the protagonist when the protagonist is a writer it's that like everything is 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's a, yeah, quite, I do. Like a complicated yeah. thought, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the subjectivity is uh, a huge part of the, I don't know. There's a certain amount of theatricality in the way that the timeline works. It's that it's the form is content. The idea that yes. like the process of telling the story is itself the story. What the story is about. Yeah. yeah. Which is also just like, I think more true of little women where it's like the whole thing yes. is she decides at the end to tell this story. Whereas I don't think, you know, mm -hmm. we get the same. I mean, obviously we, it's clear that especially the novel that David Copperfield, the tale is nominally the result of David's decision to tell this story, but it's not the right. same, like, the turning point for him isn't, ooh, I'm gonna write down my life. No, and I mean, it, it is really satisfyingly kind of um, uh, psychologically real feeling in Little Women, just because she decides, you know, I mean, she decides to tell the true story after a tragic loss. Mm -hmm. And after having been told, uh, you know, that she shouldn't be wasting her talents on like lurid shit that mm -hmm. the public wants to read and that she's like better than that and should tell a true thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice. And yeah, the story be, as the way to sort of honor the memory of, cause it's the loss of Beth, but it's also the loss of everyone. Her, everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Maybe, I mean, oh no, go ahead. No, no. Well, I was just going to say, I, I just remembered a line in this adaptation that I don't think that I don't think is from the novel where someone says, uh, someone says to Joe quite late, do you miss Beth? And she says, I miss everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Of like the mm -hmm. the total the total loss of the life that they had before everything changed is really like what it's about. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that can segue into I think where we wanted to start this episode, which is like mm. I feel like we need to take a minute to just talk about Joe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Who as is, a phenomenon? As a yeah, because yes. she just is one of the like iconic queer coded characters of literature, and I think yeah. because Little Women is like in a children's book in certain yeah. ways one that like looms large for a lot of people because they encounter her when they're young yes yes yeah and you know in doing this podcast i feel like one of the things that we've inevitably discovered is that there are so many more queer coded young men than women in culture and you know it's like there aren't that many uh you know sort of girl heroes who actually fall into right into the center of this conversation, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just like, Joe is the one we've got. Yeah. You know, and she's like, she's just so gay. I mean, the thing <laughs> is like, I mean, like the, there's, there's like a text. It just depends on how seriously we want to take this conversation, which like, obviously so far quite seriously, but like, also, we always though, take these conversations very seriously. I don't know what you're I saying. Know. Have you been, where have you been for the last several episodes where I've found a way to complain that everything is porn? We are professionals. Because, I know. No, we are. We are, <laughs> we are, we're gayness professionals. We are. The, the thing about it though, is it's just like dressing, uh, like when your childhood pastime with your family is let's sit around and pretend to be like old literary men and like, here's my top hat, here's my monocle, here's my ascot, here's the pipe that I'm smoking as like an 11 year old girl. And like, that is the dress up that you want to play and always, and like force everyone else to enact with you. That's fucking gay, dude. I think it's actually a lot more than that because as oh, you say, course, everyone but... does it. Like, you know, they have, they have their ways of playing that they all do together. And they'll sort yes. of like, let's pretend to be old men is something all of them yes. do. But yes. there's something in, 
I mean, there's like the superficial things of like, her name is Joe. You know, she famously cuts her hair off. Like she's not pretty. She's a tomboy. She doesn't want to get married, all the things. I mean, we could talk a little more in a minute about all of her sort of like, I wish I were a boy vibes. But it's also that like, her attachment to her childhood is different from all of her sisters. And like, that's, I think the thing that we were just saying is like, not only does she write the book to mourn Beth, but she writes to mourn all Mm -hmm. of them. Yes. And the sort of conflict of the second half of the book and movies is Mm -hmm. Joe's inability to sort of move into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, because it asks things of women that everyone else, amazingly to her, seem content to give and that Mm -hmm. she cannot imagine giving. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like, there's she talks a lot in the novel, more than she does in any of the adaptations, about liberty Mm -hmm. and about, like, I mean, also, like, you know, while we're on that, like, sort of talk, like, the novel starts with her explicitly stating that she wishes she could go to war. She says that in this movie version too. Does she? Yeah. Yeah, of just the fact that like, I mean, it's like she feels wasted and expresses it as soon as the first, you know, chapter, the first scene uh, in her role as a woman. Like she Mm -hmm. just like, you know, doesn't feel like there's enough for her to do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as you say, it's like she is in this state of continual longing for the period of her childhood when she could, you know, dress up as an old man and cut her hair and run around and do all the, you know, tomboy things. And it's, you know, she has to write this novel to like mourn the loss of herself. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and crucially like the, the part of childhood where you get to be best friends with Lori and you get to have, you know, like you get to enjoy a really close friendship with a boy who sort of becomes part of your family, which we'll talk about later, but like without being asked to marry him. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, like it's massive. It's yeah. Before the shift happens where anyone can ask that of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think it's, yeah, it's like, it's her general tomboy energy aesthetically. Yes. Um, And as we've discussed, kind of the fact that she's a writer. Yes. Yes, as like, you know, continual outsider, continual observer. And like, even though she's a girl in a family of girls, it's like, she's also sort of, I, as you said, part of the tension as it move, as the story moves along is like, she doesn't only not want those things for herself. She wants to stop time for the rest of the sisters as well. Mm-hmm. Like her, her, her terror about Meg getting married because Meg's the oldest one and like mm-hmm. the first one that it's going to happen to is super significant as well and I know that's like adjacent to her being a writer but it's also she wants Meg to stay an actor she wants her to not you know it's yeah. like all of that yeah this this adaptation in particular really leans heavily into the kind of artistic talents of all the sisters and sort of yeah being an artist as a metaphor for like their truest selves which I think is why it's like the most sympathetic version of Amy that has ever been conceived mm. by man like uh because everyone hates Amy but not yeah. Greta Gerwig um yeah but the thing that you said a minute ago reminded me of when they have the exchange where Joe's like oh I wish I could have gone to war mm-hmm. um it's like they have all these it's a really sort of chatty dialogue like they're always these sequences where they're just sort of like talking over each other in this very like naturalistic way and yeah. in one of those exchanges the one where Joe's like oh I wish it could have been a soldier and Amy says well we couldn't lose our only brother yes yeah which yeah sort of got it the sense of this is a period in her life when she gets to be who she wishes she could be 
Yeah. And like the people around her sort of see her for who she is, even if they often find that self very annoying because it's her sister. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's also, I think both in the adaptation and, and in the novel, I think that's also the scene where she says, I'll never get over my disappointment about not being a boy. Mm -hmm. And that they include that line in this adaptation, which doesn't always get included, but mm -hmm. which I remember really vividly reading as a child when I first read the book, you know, of just the fact that she's really, really self-aware about it. Like she's really, um, I don't know, like you said, her longings and her, you know, um, the period where she is actually able to function the way that she wants to before things change. She's really articulate about what she wants and what she wishes she had, et cetera, you know? Yeah. There's something really interesting that then this movie changes that line to be when she gives to Lori. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, I think on a lot of levels, I mean, not to, I mean, maybe we can dive into the sort of Joe and Lori relationship because I feel like that is another kind of key element. Yeah. Like one of the most famous parts kind of of the story and of Joe's story. Um, and one that I think we both talked about in this movie yes. arguably gets short shrift or rather there's not a lot of interest in setting up the idea that we really want these two to get married. And I think in some ways beginning their relationship with like being like, I wish I was a boy sort of yeah. cuts off the, the specter yeah, of does. romance really early. Cause it's like, well, she's not interested, mate. Yes. Well, and yes, cause this is going to be a really complicated conversation that dovetails into why Timothy Chalamet is such an interesting piece of casting for this as well, because it's like, <laughs> There isn't that I don't I didn't feel in this adaptation any investment in the idea that that romance was even a threat or a possibility. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel which which I do have to be honest cost me the the ability to feel anything about the proposal or about the struggle that they both have mm -hmm. afterward. And that was something that I that I lacked in the way that it's handled. But something that's interesting about it is that Lori is this Lori. I mean, Sucks. you know, well, yeah, he's, he's much less sympathetic than he's often portrayed, but, and, you know, I mean, they lean into him being sort of a, sort of a dissolute asshole when he's in the later timeline, when he's hanging yeah. around Paris with his broken heart, trying to marry anybody, uh, and any, anybody in the March family, he really does sort of, I mean, we, we joked about this, I think when we were watching too, but like, when he goes and hangs out with Meg at that society ball or whatever there, he also sort of tries it on, you know, and it's, yeah. like, he's, he's like, it's just, he's just shopping for March sisters. And it's mm -hmm. just like my dude, but also, but also I, I feel like the thing, the thing that Timothy Chalamet sort of gets right, or at least like the note that he can strike is sort of like wafy orphan vibes mm -hmm. and like his loneliness and his like jealousy about what they have. Mm -hmm as a family mm -hmm. is is the thing that you feel primarily from this performance I felt like of, of just like you know like he's he's a lonely outsider which yeah. is I don't know there's a queerness about him too yeah well I mean I think that those two things connect a bit because yes. to me the reason that the lack of investment in Joe and Lori as potential partners yeah works is because both of them want both of them are using the idea of marrying each other to mean something else and to fill a different sort of need and gap. And I think mm. that sort of that 
message would be diluted if there was part of us that were like, but I really want them to get together, which is like always what you want. Like you want Winona Ryder and Christian Bale to get married really badly. And it's like very disappointing well, that they don't. Yes, you do. Well, it's so, this is so, it's so complicated, but to me it's, I, I don't, cause I, I understand that this is trying to do a different thing. The reason that it didn't work for me was that I, the tragedy of the mismatch is so felt and so embodied in the Winona Ryder and Christian Bale that to me, it be, that's like part of why it sort of woke up sad gay storytelling bells in me, even as a child when I watched it, of just the fact that like, they really do love each other and enjoy each other and they really wish it would work. But the tragedy is that she knows, she knows why it wouldn't be right. And like, and there is something, what's weird about it is because their, their friendship is a childhood friendship, mm -hmm. there is something, when the intimacy is real, it doesn't feel like an intimacy between a man and a woman or a boy and a girl. That's what's, mm -hmm. that's what's queer about that story of Joe and Lori is that mm. they're sort, they're sort of boys together in that adaptation. Yeah, and, I feel and, that. You know, and then when he needs her to be a woman, she can't for yeah. him. Yeah, that, and I, this is just a different story of that. Yeah, and I think the story for me and something that feels differently queer, right, or sort of Joe's, Joe as sort of a lesbian, basically, yes. is that it's never been, they both are sort of trying to fit this relationship that they both really value into a shape that is recognizable. Right. And Joe wants to be I mean, she doesn't like, I mean, maybe we should, we can segue into when Joe thinks she wants to try to do this maybe in a moment, yeah. but for Lori, it's like, he wants to be one of the girls. He wants to be yes. in the family. Yes. And it's not even really, like you say, he kind of tries, he tries Meg, he, he tries does. Joe, he yeah. tries and succeeds in the end with Amy. And it's like, mm -hmm. he is seeking something that has nothing to do with the nature of his friendship with Joe. He's just like, well, this is a thing I can, this is a doorway I can, kind of pry open to get the thing I actually want and I think yeah you sort of get the same thing then with Joe when she backtracks and uh writes a letter that's basically like hey Lori I fucked up let's actually get married actually let's get together and then it's too uh, late. and then it's too late and you very much feel like it's not that she loves Lori or like yeah. you know and I think that it's important that it's, for the story that this film is trying to tell, there is something that right. feels a little hollow about the idea of the two of them getting together. Yes, yes. And like you said, I mean, you know, the the thing about Lord, this Lori being sort of one of the sisters, being sort of one of the, you know, trying to join the family at all costs. And the first, the first way that he does that is become one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I, I do feel like that's a substantial difference in the casting because just like to use the parallel, it's like when you have... I don't know. I really feel I really it's it's like a reductive in a gender sense to put to put it down so easily. But I think the casting pulls you in that direction where like when it's Christian Bale, it's about Winona Ryder being able to be as boyish as Christian Bale. When mm -hmm. it's Timothy Chalamet, it's about Timothy Chalamet being one of these girls. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like he doesn't make Joe masculine. She makes him feminine because he's already really feminine. I was really but, aware that in the scene where he joins the Pickwick Society, Yes. Like he's wearing a super feminine blouse. Yeah. Like, and they're all wearing, and they're all wearing shirts and suspenders and hats. Yeah. And like, it's like, well, so you, you get to dress up as a girl now yeah. because you're like, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it's like he, his masculinity sort of sloughs off entirely. I mean, what little of it was barely there, you know? And like, he become, it's like, what's weird about it is that because they include that line about like, you're our brother, Joe, basically right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's like, even when they adopt him, he doesn't take her place. Like he doesn't become the brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he just He's becomes just another sister. <laughs> one of the sisters. Yeah. And it's yeah. the contrast they draw between his incredibly cold, formal Yes. house full of men yes and the warm loving house full of women and I mean they do it and I mean in a really explicit way in this adaptation <laughs> where he when he takes the girls home from the party you know it, like this is an, uh, an invented line Laura Dern says uh he, he said he calls her Mrs. March and she says call me mother <laughs> you know and it's just like yeah he desperately wants you to be his mommy like that's what this boy wants he wants to live and it's yeah they do this whole like scene where everyone's like bustling over the girls yeah. who've just gotten back and it's like again one of these scenes where it's a bunch of lines that feel improvised probably oh yeah and yeah. they're all just talking and he's just sort of standing back like watching it with this longing expression yeah 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 the warmth of it and stuff so I don't know I mean I think that Laurie's always an outsider because that's the point of him he comes from Europe and he doesn't know anyone here and in the first conversation he ever has with Joe he's like no I don't know anyone mm -hmm. you know it's like he that's his story always but this one really makes him I don't know his his loneliness and his lack of women around him feels like it pains him a lot yeah and there's something interesting in like I think we mentioned that you know this version beefs up Amy a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we get, we pay a lot of attention to sort of Lori and Amy hanging out in Paris together, sort of in the lead up to them eventually getting married, mm. um, which I think is not really, we don't see that kind of courtship in the book, right? He goes and hangs, the The scene where she tells him off is is in the book. The sort yeah. of his his first proposal where it's kind of a joke and then, and then he's like, don't marry Fred. And then she's mm -hmm. like, don't propose to me because you're disappointed about Joe turning you down. And then, you know, yeah. like that scene is in the book. And then the scene where he comes back after Beth is dead is, is in the yes. book. But more than that, I don't recall. Yeah, but it's interesting to me that like, as you say, there's a scene where he kind of proposes and she's like, don't, do not like do this. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Lori. Uh, but then when he sort of succeeds and kisses her and like, you know, we get the implication that, okay, yeah, she's going to marry him is only after Beth has died. There's yeah. something in like a sister slot has been vacated and now he can fill it. That is so fucked. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm digesting it because it is really interesting. There is explicit text that isn't in this, in that, in this adaptation that is in the book and in the nineties adaptation where he literally says, um, you know, that line about, uh, I've always known I should be part of the March family. And yeah. she's like, and she's like, he's being a dick about Fred Vaughn in that scene. And she's like, don't be a dick about Fred. And he's like, I hate Fred. I hate this like professor dude <laughs> Joe's hanging out with. And he says, if Beth had a lover, I would despise him too. Like mm. the, the whole thing of like, I literally hate anyone who gets to join this family besides me. And yeah. So but I mean, I think that the reason he doesn't have to say that is because Amy yes. says it for him in this well, version. Exactly. Yeah. She's like, you just want to be don't just pick me as your backup because you, I'm the only March left. Well, right, right, right. And what does he say in response? I can't remember. What? Because yeah, she's like, don't, don't just, I don't want to be the person you settle for is what she says in this adaptation. And he says, 
uh, I mean, he denies it in a sort of flaccid way, um, mm-hmm. but it is interesting that he gets, you know, called out on it rather yeah. than himself. Yeah. Well, no, what she says is she says, don't like, you know, don't settle for me, especially not when I've been in love with you all oh, my life. That's right. And then she storms away. He doesn't, yeah, get to say he anything. doesn't say that's anything because right. she leaves. Oh yes. Now. Yeah. That's so interesting. What do you think the Amy Laurie problem has, has, has stumped readers and viewers for generations. <laughs> what, what do you make of how they try to handle it here? I have an anecdote first. So Please I went to go. see this, I went to see this movie with a friend of mine who'd never read the book. And he was like, well, I know the big spoiler. And I was like, oh, do you? What is it? And he was like, oh, well, the Beth dies. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. Yeah, and sure. so we get to the movie. And when when Lori proposed to Amy, he literally like gasped out loud and was just I like, love what? that. It was amazing. I was like, that's really satisfying because it's like almost any that's a that's a really satisfying spoiler to like see break on someone because yeah. it's like almost any woman who like grew up in America in the nineties or whatever knows what happens. So it's so fun to see someone like. Yeah, it's like, yeah, 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 no, the death, the death is the big thing. No. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. But anyway, so that I have, that was just a delight. It um, is shocking. It's it just is, a I mean, shock. You're proof. just like, it's how shocking. is this happening? And I think also a little bit proof that for someone who is maybe not as well-versed in the other versions as us, yeah. the Joe and Lori relationship has enough kind of meat yeah. in this to play yeah. well um, and or the amy Lori relationship doesn't have enough <laughs> i think it's a, co- it's a combination <laughs> it's a combination um but uh yeah i mean i think that it's one of two it's the two marriages that i think this version is self-consciously trying to sort of amend and comment on right in one being okay we want to make a version where we feel a little more okay about amy marrying Lori. so we're going to say that like you know, she's been in love with him from the beginning and like, you know, give her the kind of dignity of not just mm-hmm. being, cause it's like, yes, it's confusing for, uh, from the Lori point of view, it's easy to make fun of and be like, you just want to marry a March, what are you doing? But it's sort of like embarrassing from the Amy point of view. I think, well, yeah, it's sort of like, what are you thinking? Why, why have you done this? And I think that the film is very transparently interested in coming up with a reason why. Yes. And I think that the parallel is the other inexplicable sort of much maligned relationship of the novel, which is Joe's marriage to Professor Bear. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're both really hard. They're both really hard. And I think that they are not solvable. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I think that that's what's interesting about the story in a way is that the, I'm still struggling to digest how I feel about how this adaptation handles them because I do think that it is a little bit too, for me, it's too solvy. It's mm-hmm. too, it's too like, we're going to try and make a, we're going to try and make this like, you know, 21st century feminist palatable. Mm. And, and it's in, cause you know, especially with, we haven't spoken about it yet, but especially with the, um, the kind of meta uh, introduction that the the story gets with Joe's publisher saying, you know, end your story with your heroine either married or dead, mm-hmm. you know, and the kind of preoccupation that the the hint that we get right at the beginning about how this adaptation is going to treat Professor Bear, it's yeah, yeah. You look like you have thoughts. No, I mean I like the ending a lot. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I think it uses what can, what feels like a slightly clunky sort of trying to make 
things palatable yeah choice to do something more interesting um yeah. I mean should we just talk about the ending yeah let's get it out in the open because I think it'll inform any conversation we have about Professor Bear yeah so what happens at the end is we're sort of getting our blurred timelines of Joe finishing and sort of submitting this her novel to the publisher right. and they're sort of haggling and stuff and then also kind of in parallel in a way that more than at other points in the novel it's sort of unclear other points in the movie rather what it's unclear what the specific timeline of these two events is which turns out to be deliberate I think where also we're seeing her back in Concord kind of Joe and I mean Amy and Lori have just gotten married and then Professor Bear shows up at her family's home and is like hey I'm gonna move to California but I was just passing through a completely different state from the one that I live in just passing through your tiny town in Massachusetts yeah, I just was here um and sort of the family dines together and everyone's like oh Joe's in love and Lori's very jealous and it's very oh my funny. god it's so funny he keeps going who is who are you who is, this, know, man? Who is this man <laughs> but it's also like he's already married to Amy at that I point know. I was like Timothy baby boy Lori this Lori does suck a bit um I mean but it's very funny uh and so we're sort of getting intercut with like her uh you know sisters being like oh my god you have to like chase him you love him like go after him don't let him leave like you know this is it for you with her being like yeah in the novel and finally we get to this point where the publisher is like well she has to get married at the end of the novel and like joe's like okay fine and then we cut back to <laughs> yeah. her and professor bear yeah and it becomes this very sort of unclear blurring up to the end of the novel where we sort of on the one hand see her watching her book get printed on the other hand we see this idyllic garden party at the school that she has said she's going to start and like you know Amy's teaching painting and Meg's teaching acting and Professor Bear is teaching some kids and like it's just like very beautiful and perfect and then you know we're cutting right. back and forth and it just becomes very unclear like is this idyllic you know romantic scene with Professor Bear and subsequent idyllic vision of them at this school the ending she invented or is it mm -hmm. What happened. what happened and like what is the order of events of the publication yeah. of the novel and these things and all yeah it just and I find something really interesting even though again I agree the sort of like she has to get married is a little clunky it gives way to I think that confusion is really interesting and the image we get of Joe in this very sort of gray toned cold like coldly lit printer's office holding the book alone yeah and the idea that maybe she got what she wanted but yeah. the cost of that is mm -hmm. everything like she will be yeah. alone too yeah 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 it's interesting because I didn't feel because I hadn't seen the movie I didn't know exactly how they played the ending and I was surprised I didn't feel like it was even that ambiguous I felt like because of how I felt like it was pretty clear that this was just the ending that she wrote for the book mm. especially because well because there's like a long negotiation scene yeah I mean I guess the publisher. I didn't think it was ambiguous and then I talked to other people about it and they were like what are you saying okay. and I was like no it's obviously it doesn't happen she yeah. he, she writes it for the book because she sits in the office and the guy is like you have, have to change to. the ending and we magically change this is when people are like it's so impossible to tell which timelines when I'm like the lighting and color palettes yeah. are completely different and we I revert mean, yeah. to the color palette of the past for, for, the, for that for the, for the yeah. garden party ending yeah it's like this 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt I'm still, I'm still wrestling with what I think the choice means, but I definitely felt like it was clear that it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt, but, but, but it's interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued that some people did not read that. Um, I guess I'm surprised. It surprises me a little bit because I didn't, yeah. Until you mentioned that I was like, what do you mean? Like the guy, oh, did did you notice that the publisher, that the publisher is Tracy Lutz? Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Tracy Lutz. Hey Tracy. Um, Hey, what's up, dude? Uh, you know, in their kind of haggling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, but the fact that the film was started with the ultimatum, if your hero mm-hmm. is a girl, she has to end up married or dead is fine too. <laughs> and, which, and is then, which is like, all right, Tracy. And then we, you know, and then we go into the thing. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the whole essentially framing device led me to believe that it was a narrative choice that she had to make, you know, for the book. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but it's yeah. also like, it's a narrative choice she has to make for her life. Because right. she too, as a person, is tempted to choose the marriage plot when she because has, right, yeah when she has the scene where she wants decides she's gonna marry Lori if he asks yeah and yeah then, I'm, when she writes the when she writes the doubling back letter yeah yeah and has the like famous women speech <laughs> should we talk about the women's speech we can I know you don't like it no it's okay it's it's not it's not that that I didn't like I have to say that it's just a, it's it wasn't that that I didn't like it's just that I don't I didn't feel like the and I may be alone here I didn't feel like the re-scrambling of the timeline I felt over and over like the movie was telling me things that I would have rather been shown Mm. And the thing about, you know, even I, I particularly felt this with the Amy and Lori marriage as well, is that mm. Amy, Amy turning on her heel in that scene and saying, I've been in love with you all my life or whatever. It's like, I was like, well, if you'd shown me that. Oh, see, I feel like at that, I, I got that. I don't, I didn't buy it. I don't know. There was just something I didn't feel like I ever, cause of the cross cutting, I never felt like I got to sit in a scene in the past long enough for anybody's mm. relationships to really matter. Mm. so and I don't know it was interesting that was a struggle that I had throughout I didn't feel like the re-scramble told me anything new about that except I mean like I understand that it was really driving towards this ending that you're talking about and the ambiguity of like and I think that that's an interesting project and I'm I'm still wrestling with what it means for the character because it I felt like it was heavy-handed and that part of it hurt me that was what I was resisting Mm -hmm. So that's, I don't know, it's not so like an annoying thing to say, but it's just that I felt that, that it's sort of what I said a minute ago is like, I don't feel like I get the impulse to try and make something of it because the marriages are so confounding. Yeah. And I think that like, it's something, the one, I think again, like to, to loop back to, you know, the theme of the podcast. Yes. One of the things that feels so queer is kind of like, even the efforts to make some of the marriages make more sense kind of lay bare that like marriage, like just this sort of sense of like heterosexual marriage is fundamentally bullshit though, actually. And like, we don't really care. Like no one, like speaking of characters who like- Here we are having time, not talk about Meg at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, you could make something sweet with her and Mr. Brooke. And it's, no. it's, it's um uh, oh my gosh, his name is James Norton. It's James Norton, like, yeah. A very charming and like not- insignificant actor though no. they make it, him really awkward they make him super too. awkward and it just like, doesn't matter and it's like in no. a 
in a movie that was fully invested in saying, oh, we're going to sort of do the reparative version where we make all these relationships kind of make sense and be okay and be palatable, you would very obviously do something with the two of them, but really they do the opposite of that where they're They're barely in the movie. (laughs) They're barely in the movie. And like their future, their like present day timeline plot is like about how their marriage is shit. And Um, they have no money. And and they have no- yeah, yeah. Meg, is, Meg is a tricky character because they really lean into the fact that what she is sad about is the fact that she married a poor man and she'll and she'll never be able to have nice things. And like yeah. the entire character of Meg in this adaptation is I wish I had nice things. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and like, I mean, I think it like, again, connects to some of the things it's saying about, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this the other week, but the question of like, what even is love under certain economic conditions? Yeah. How can you, what does it mean to say you're in love with somebody when not being in love with them means kind of ruin and destitution? And that's sort of what I think the Joe thing, the Joe speech is saying is like, right. If I don't marry him, then I'll be alone forever. Right. And so how can I, of course, under those circumstances, yes, I'm in love with him. (laughs) Like, right. If if those are the options, then yeah, fine. In this economy, I'm in love with him. (laughs) lesbianism in this economy economy? (laughs) I mean honestly though that's the thing like and so I think that like yeah that's Meg is the sort of like sure you love him and it's a bit shit and I think with Amy it's kind of like you Mm -hmm. she has been told again and again by Aunt March like you are your family's salvation you must marry rich and it's sort of like one you're the last one and it is the sense maybe of like well (laughs) at least you like Lori like, at least yeah. by marrying Lori, you're sort of holding the family together in a different yes. way. Yes. Yeah. I think that is part of it. <laughs> this, this Aunt March is a real bitch at Meg's wedding. <laughs> I know. Speaking of the economics of marriage, <laughs> she's just like, oh, this sucks. Just like walks down the road <laughs> you idiot. her wedding day. Yeah. I was like, that's a bitch move, Meryl. But um, I love it. I love I, it. It's so funny. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, but then why do they have Amy be like, well, I've been in love with you all my life. Like, are they trying to save it or not? Like, I mean, but it's like, isn't her love? Cause one of the things she says in that exchange is like, I've been in Joe's shadow she always. Does, yeah. And the, this adaptation, like I said, really sets up the kind of parallels between like Joe is a writer and Amy is a painter. And like yeah. all of the sisters have their sort of artistic talent, but the two yeah. of them are the ones who really like, lean into it. Lori too, as one of the sisters, because he's a musician. Of course, yes. Um, And so it's like, but it's like, really, we get these strong parallels between like Joe and Amy. And I think this sort of sense that like, part of the reason they struggle to get along is because they're actually quite alike. Yeah. In their sort of artistic temperaments. Yeah. And desire to kind of make something of themselves. Uh, Yeah. And so there's something in her explicitly saying in that conversation, like, I don't want Joe's leftovers again. Like that her relationship to Lori is as much about her relationship Mm -hmm. to Joe. Absolutely. But then she takes him. It's such an interesting puzzle. It's It's such an interesting puzzle. But I think in that way, it's like sort of like raising the specter of I've loved you all my life doesn't really solve the marriage, actually. No, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. And also then again, like this adaptation has, like Lori is very weird about Professor Bear showing up even after he's married to Amy. 
And yeah. that is not a usual choice. That's a choice that this film makes. Well, and Amy's very sort of brusque and bitchy to him in the sort of, like, she's like, Lori, go get the carriage. Like, stop talking. Like, it's like, they're not, <laughs> which is like just how Amy is. But I mean, yes, that's true too. You know, it does we don't really get a sense of like, oh, actually, you know, like, I don't think it is kind of trying to be as reparative as it maybe seems. Right. Well, right. It's, yeah, it's just, it's it that it muddled me the way mm-hmm. that the that the way that the Amy and Lori plot is handled and mm-hmm. I mean yeah they just let him be a huge dick which is its own thing I, before we get speaking of like the queerness kind of underwriting everything before we oh, get yeah, that. further because <laughs> well because Joe is a lesbian is the backdrop of all of this like Joe yeah. is a lesbian and so cannot marry him even though mm-hmm. he's basically a woman yeah. and like you know in this economy loneliness etc but I should we should talk about the but women speech but I think mm-hmm. we should also um I think we should also talk about the proposal yes bit. yes because because that's one of the places where I felt like this adaptation really sort of made its um uh, agenda clear. <laughs> it's gay it's, agenda. It's gay agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, why don't, yeah. So, I mean, I think that you mentioned this before, and I think it was a really good point that like mm. the turning point for the Joe and Louie relationship is like, he needs her to be a woman. Yeah. And it's pointed that that happens in the aftermath of Meg's wedding when yeah. suddenly for Joe, the whole world has changed. And there's another conversation in that that we'll talk about as well. There is, there um, is. Well, and also she's like, she's next. She's because next. So much, so much of her energy in the, in the first part of the story is about trying to keep Meg from getting married. Yes. <laughs> and then once Meg, and that's its own whole thing. We should talk about that too. But like, now that Meg is married, it's like, there's no buffer. Like yeah. the floodgates are open. It's only you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, Beth's not going to get married and Amy's a kid. So no, you're the oldest one. You're the oldest and one. And your best friend is a boy who wants to marry you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's a funny, and like, I find something really sort of stressfully relatable about mm. the proposal in this adaptation specifically, where he sort of starts to like do it. And she's like, no, 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 don't, Gotta don't. Go. And she like literally tries to walk away. And he's just yeah. like, we have to have it out. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't Let's want just, to. Don't do this. And like that, I mean, again, like, I don't know. I've certainly had the experience where it's like, oh, yeah. you know, a guy has feelings for you and you're like, please don't make us have this conversation. Don't want to do it. It's not going to be good for anyone. Please. I gotta Let's go. not. Yeah. Um, mm. And then the terms in which she rejects him. It's that. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the gay agenda, the, yeah. the nugget there. I mean, there's a couple different moments that I think we both wrote down, but uh, she says explicitly to him, she says, I can't love you as you want me to. I don't know why. Yeah. And I mean, that is. Yeah. And she says, I tried and I failed. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like, it doesn't really get much clearer than that. No, it's like, I I do love you, but not. As my sister. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're one of my sisters. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And that's, uh, and she's wearing his clothes in this scene. I don't know if you noticed. She's wearing his waistcoat and cravat. There's just a lot of different kinds of gay energy happening. Are they both boys? Are they both girls? Either way, it's just, either way, it's gay. It is. Um, And like, I mean, I think that the uh, structure, you know, because another thing that the sort of 
muddled chronology does is mm-hmm. muddled is a negative word I like the jumbled timeline but whatever yeah. the mixed chronology does is that the two things that get juxtaposed in the movie's chronology are Beth dying and Meg getting married right Beth dies and then we flash back to Meg's wedding and it's sort of like okay so these are the same um yeah. and then Lori proposes so it's just like these three sort of deaths yeah all lined up Yes. Yeah. And then of course, you know, Amy accepts Lori's proposal in the aftermath of a death, you know, I mean, like in a way, even in the present, that's, that's Mm -hmm. kind of twinned. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting because they also give Meg a, you know, a speech at some point in the movie in her one relevant scene where she says, um, where she says, just because my dreams are different than yours, it doesn't mean they aren't valid, which is interesting because it's like, well, this adaptation, because it's very subjectively Joe's experience, certainly doesn't believe that (laughs) so like yeah I mean it's interesting let's talk about that scene in a second but like yeah my interpretation of the ending and the sort of coldness and Mm -hmm. loneliness of Joe standing with her book having this flash of memory of her sisters and herself as children yeah contrasted with Meg and John's marriage in the present is bad. And she yeah. spends $50 on some, fa- it's just like, oh, she, Meg is just an idiot. Um, well, they kind of reconcile. They do, they, but like, that's the thing is then they reconcile and there's this right. sense of like, things are hard and they're poor and they've got these kids and everything's bad, through. but they're together. Right. You know, and it's sort of like, what else has Joe ever wanted but that someone to be together with who won't leave her when she fucks up and who won't well you know that's kind of how well it's interesting because that's kind of how I felt about the book is because like it felt to me like it felt to me like the key of Meg's resolution with John and the sort of key of Joe in the book is almost the same like Mm. you know it's like they're lit in the same way I mean you know yeah no I mean I do think it's like the book is her marriage but it's still it's not a person like it's not the story it's it's that her she'll it's almost like you'll always have the past is the thing she gets in the end oh oh how painful yeah Yeah. but well yeah well yeah because what she's doing is she's standing there holding her own story I think what it really is Mm -hmm. is you'll always have yourself yeah I mean like that's the marriage that you that you have yes and the self that you kind of want to be like you'll have this core of who you are but I think it is I don't know there's still Mm -hmm. just like a loneliness to there is, it. there is, but it's, the, but, but it's like the same as Meg's. It's like, there are difficulties here, but it's the ending you wanted. It's the yes. ending you, it's the ending you chose. Yes. And yes. you know, I mean, you spoke, you spoke about the framing of the shot earlier and I do kind of want to get even nerdier about that. Cause something that made me feel like, you know, the way that the present is lit, it's this very cold kind of um, blue gray scale sort of thing. And she's wearing a sort of dark gray, gray scale sort of outfit. And the book is bright red. Mm-hmm. And so the sh- the last shot of her is like you know I mean you said she was holding this like core of herself and it looks like a it looks like a core it's red you know it's like mm-hmm. she's it's she's holding a heart you know mm-hmm. and like it's incredibly mm-hmm. I think that's you know intentional in the framing of the of the image you mm-hmm. know what I mean that it's what made me feel like not a happy maybe not a happy ending but like a a, a purposeful one I don't know yeah I think I've maybe oversold how sad I think that image is because mm. it's like she's happy but it's still there's a I mean it's bittersweet it is the sense of it is the sense of loss that is the novel itself the idea of like I can't have the past anymore but what I can do is honor and immortalize who we were yeah 
Yeah. And grow up into the kind of person that I chose. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I think that's kind of the, yeah. I mean, that's why it's such a sort of indelibly great, though complicated kind of coming of age novel is like the Mm -hmm. entire point of it is how, when the world in this economy is really complicated, (laughs) how do you maintain, like, it's actually quite difficult, especially as a woman to turn into the kind of person that you want to be. Yeah. And I think that that's why, Joe marrying Professor Bear feels like such a betrayal to everybody always. It's hard. It's really, really hard. I mean, I think it's interesting because it's like, there's nothing wrong with him, but I don't know. I'm, I was thinking about it a lot because obviously this adaptation makes the really specific choice to cast doubt on it and be like, that's not a believable ending. So the story that mm-hmm. we're going to tell is that it's not a believable ending. Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting about it, I was thinking back to other adaptations and like even the book about how we're meant to feel. And like, obviously, you know, Louisa May Alcock couldn't have, she could have left her unmarried, but she couldn't have let her be as gay as she is, you know? And so it's the way that the veil kind of comes across that at the end is so interesting because mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I was thinking back to the the 90s adaptation, which, you know, is, is Gabriel Byrne and he's really good and interesting. And the that film does show them falling in love, but it's such an intellectual love. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like they talk about Whitman and they go to the opera and like they fall in love, but they love each other's minds. And yeah. like they, there is such a lack of sexual charge, mm-hmm. but the romance feels genuine that it does feel like she's being sort of seen and understood by someone who in a weird way won't ask anything of her, that mm-hmm. in a way it still feels queer to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, cause he's also quite a bit older and that casting is, is, I don't know, there's something um, really, yeah, like de-sexed about it. And that's a way of addressing the problem. And it's sort of the way that the novel does it as well. Yeah, but it's still, you know, you feel- uh, It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a capitulation. Yeah. You know, it's finding a version of marriage that she can tolerate. Yeah. yeah. But it's still the yeah. thing she always said she never wanted. Yes. Yes. Well, I think what's interesting is that I think in the novel, it's sort of, it's, it's meant to feel like there is actually a version that gives her something that she wouldn't have on her own. Totally, totally. But I think that, you know, it's like the identity of Joe as this queer, you know, tomboy character. I think it's, it's the, yeah, I mean, I think I remember experiencing it as a sense of like, oh, God damn it. Like, why you, you too, like in the end. I know you'll find a version of heterosexuality you can live with. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate like, yeah, I think that that, I mean, again, it's like, it's, I, it does still, I, I totally get and agree with what you're saying. And I yeah. think in some ways it's like the, it's the, in this economy ending of like, you it have is. to though, like yeah. on some yeah. level, but it does still feel like a betrayal of like, yeah, <laughs> like what she has been and who she is and who she has seemed to be and what she has said she wanted. It's sort of not the only one either. There, there's a bittersweetness and a and a loss over the whole second half of the book, really, because the whole Joe's so problem. Well, Joe's problem is our problem. It's not just that marriage changes. Like it's not just that marriage puts you in an impossible position, asks things of you that you might not be willing to give. But it's like everything about living in the world as a woman does that. Like I don't mm-hmm. know. It's like the thing is like no matter what, the Joe that we have at the end of the story is not the Joe that we started with before. Like all of the tragedy changed her. And so what's bittersweet about the story is like 
we want the childhood back too. We want what she wants and none of us are ever going to get it back. Yes. And I think that that is something that the uh, kind of nonlinear chronology helps with Mm -hmm. because the second half of the story is so much more depressing and less kind of engaging than the first because the childhood parts are just like more fun and better and they're the parts that Mm. you think about when you think about little women so being able to sort of like seed them throughout the movie rather than sort of front loading them and then having the depressing back half is kind of nice it kind of is it kind of is (laughs) although it does sort of it does sort of back like mix the Paul in with the joy in a way that makes me aware of how fleeting the joy is, which is yeah, both a good and a bad thing. Cause I yeah. don't get to really enjoy it and then lose it. But it is like, that's what it's sad. Like, right. Right. No, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting mix. Should we, I mean, we haven't talked about Beth at all, but it's not germane to how gay everything is. No, Beth, but Beth, poor sweet sexless child who even is this actress I was like she's Australian I don't know anything else about her she does a lovely job I mean it's Mm -hmm. just it's just a it's an impossible it's an impossible role Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) but should we talk about about the kind of Joe Meg thing because they do some interesting thing interesting things in this adaptation with that yeah so we were mentioning a minute ago that Meg has this line where she's like just because my dreams aren't yours doesn't mean they don't right. matter and this comes in the context of like the night before oh. like the, no the day of her day wedding of, the day of like 10 minutes before she walks down the aisle Joe being like we could run away it's not too late I mean it is it's the most it's the most I mean she she proposes to her. I mean, this it's is like thing. And this is why I don't like Emma Watson. I'm just going to say that. I don't think that's fair. You're allowed, you're allowed and I don't that. think that this adaptation, you know, does Meg a lot of favors anyway. But I think that with a no. more interesting casting, we maybe could have built in a sense of something that I think is like present in this version. And yeah. I always kind of remember as being present in the book as well. It of is. Like, <laughs> the one that Joe is in love with is Meg. Sorry, guys. Like, obviously, (laughs) Beth's loss is traumatic, but, like, Meg is the sister who is most important to her. And Meg's loss, as you said, by juxtaposing the marriage and the death, Meg's loss is equally traumatic. And and Meg's loss is the one that leaves Joe alone first. And I don't think that this version captures that, and I mostly blame the casting. Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think it's just, it's a really tricky... Joe and Meg are, it's really interesting. It's weird because her, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked a little bit about how like, you know, Meg is sort of the buffer. As long as Meg isn't married because she's the oldest sister, we're all still in our childhood, yeah. you know? But like, as soon as Meg gets married, everything's fucked. But it's also, yeah. and like she moves, this is the, this is how you know it's like a metaphysical existential loss because like she moves next door yeah like, like down like, the street right it's like it's not like she moves away like amy goes to paris and joe is like i don't give a shit like the thing is like <laughs> like meg moves a house away with a perfectly like nice if bland man yeah and and it ruins joe's life yeah because it's not about because it's not about the practice like the loss is like such a great one you know yeah, but this, this movie makes it so explicit. Like, I mean, the mm-hmm. morning of thing, I mean, like in any adaptation, like the novel, as soon as John, uh, you know, proposes and like is, as soon as John is like lurking, every adaptation of Little Woman has Joe being like, why though? Why can things just stay as they are? You know, but like mm-hmm. the, 
the extra drama of having her she kneels in front of her on the morning of her wedding and is like it's not too late I can pack us a bag yeah and she's like and I'll you know she's like fancy like she's I I, I think I'm remembering this correctly she's like mm-hmm. I'll write like I'll get a job like she's picturing yes. their like, life together listen I know that they're sisters but we've done lots of incest adjacent shit before and that is gay Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think that that's something that, like, I get why it's hard to kind of lean into too much I mean. for a story, but there is something that I wish we could have had more of, and I think that yeah. that scene does its best to kind of do, of, like, in some ways, like, the love of Joe's life is Meg. Yes, and honestly, though, like, frankly, remembering that it's the morning of her wedding, I pour some out for Meg, the fact that her wedding day starts with her sister being like, this does suck, and we could leave, and then you have to explain to her that it's like, nope, uh, this is what I want, and then also Aunt March is like, fuck you, and like, leaves your way. Poor Meg, and then, like, all the things that everyone warned her about come true, and it's like, well, yeah. She's like, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be okay to be poor as long as you're in love. Like smash cut to, I have these kids. I'm sitting on my front porch, staring out desolately at my old home, like a goddamn wish, prairie wife. I wish we got in the jelly scene. That's like one of the parts of the book <gasps> that I really vividly remember. And no one will ever, no one will ever include it because it's so pointless. But it is <laughs> no one cares about Meg. Chapter. Basically, it's a chapter where Meg has a breakdown about. She's just like all of these things pile up and in the true tradition of just like losing your shit over something that doesn't matter loses her shit over making jelly yeah because she's like I'm not a good wife I've ruined everything the jelly won't gel the jelly won't gel which is a metaphor for my marriage which will not gel and like everyone's like you need to calm down sitting on the floor crying now it's a mood yeah it is a mood and the jelly won't gel but yeah in this version Joe tries to run away with her on her wedding mm-hmm. day. And that mood is pretty gay. The other thing that Joe constantly tries to do that maybe connects to something else that this that we've alluded to is like, she really, really wants Meg to follow her dreams of being an actor or rather yeah. her talent. Her she talent. doesn't have dreams of being an actor. Joe no. has them for her. Yeah, that's her whole thing. She's like, I don't actually care about this. Yeah, like it's something that is fun to do, but like, it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the way that like each sister's, again, like artistic dream is this sort of metaphor for like their ability, or to Joe at least, is a metaphor yes. for their ability to kind of pursue their true self. And I think like, yeah, their personhood, their, their specialness yeah. that the world is going to, you know, try and extinguish in various ways. Yeah, the chance to be sort of seen for who you are. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Joe yeah. and this is a, sort of an element of like Joe being in love with Meg it's like Joe wants <laughs> Joe thinks Meg deserves to be seen yes people yes. should look at her and notice her yes yes yeah which is an interesting thing actually if we had kind of more of a if if we were to ever do a Meg deep dive we could go on a sort of which is again pointless but <laughs> but like but like you know being seen is an interesting thread in her story. You know, I mean, the mm-hmm. whole thing of when she goes to the party and is surrounded by all the rich girls and they lend her clothes and she suddenly looks beautiful and everyone's flirting with her and then Lori shows up and gets pissed. And what is the nickname they give her, Emma? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure this is just this adaptation and not the novel. Pretty sure. They call her Daisy. Everyone suddenly calls 
Walter and Daisy. There is a line in the middle of this fucking movie when Meg is at this party walking up the stairs and some girl is like, I'm going to lend you my dress. And it's like Belle Watson or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I shall call you Daisy. And I like slammed the keyboard and was like, what? <laughs> we didn't know we were doing such a perfect pairing of movies, but. And yet we had no idea. I was like, stare forth. But yeah, I mean, Daisy. But yeah, Meg's whole like, yeah, she doesn't want to be seen in the way that Joe wants to be seen. Yeah, and the way that Joe wants her yeah. to be seen. She it's wants not, to be yeah. seen blending in, basically. She wants to be seen, yeah, she wants to be like everybody else, which is why she's so pained by having no money. Yeah. And but, yeah. Joe wants her to be seen as being like special. Special. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And it connects to me to like the thing that we said at the beginning, I guess, of that like they all have these talents, but Joe's relationship to hers is different. Yes. And like, even at the end, kind of Amy sort of gives up on being a painter or is just like, I'm just not good enough. And that's okay. Yeah, you know, like she, I want, yeah. she basically says like, I want to be great or I'm not going to do it. And I know I'm not great. So I guess I'll yeah. get married. And then she yeah, does yeah, yeah. only, just like only Joe kind of can't leave the childhood behind. Yes. Only Joe can't not be what she is. Well, right. And I mean, Artistically. That's, the, that's the whole, but the art is the personhood and that's the whole metaphor that's why it's Mm -hmm. gay is the whole thing of like if the thing that you find to be central about your identity is the thing that all of the structure of society is going to try and keep you from doing and yet you give up everything else in order to keep doing it Mm -hmm. because you wouldn't be yourself without it Mm -hmm. that's gay and that's why she ends up married to her book that's why she ends up married to her book while Meg is figuring out her shit. Poor sweet Beth is dead. And Amy and Lori are like trying to figure out if they made a huge mistake. I'm editorializing, but not, no, not, no. <laughs> and something else, sorry, just speaking of like editorializing, I guess something that yeah. came to me when we were watching it this time that I didn't really think mm-hmm. about the first time I saw it was like in the chase of professor bear, when they're like they sort of go on this wild like they're like oh my god follow him and they're like I have to fix you and like you know doing her hair and they're all like in the carriage giggling together and it's just just, like joyous it's the happiest moment that's happened in the movie for ages right and it's not about Professor Bear it's about the sisters being together and playing together yeah again yeah yeah And so even like, even in the timeline where she marries Professor Bear, it's like the joy of that experience is about Mm -hmm, the sisters again. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. I always feel really uh, puzzled and confused and, and ponderous about the fact that like, you know, Amy's been gone for a really long time and Beth is dead. And so the the weird tension for Joe, especially after she does the thing that we've alluded to where after unbeknownst to her, Lori and Amy are already married. She changes her mind, writes Lori a letter that is like, you know, I made a mistake, come home. Mm -hmm. And then they show up together and surprise her, which is insane Mm -hmm. with the fact that they have gotten married. And the the insane tension that all Joes have to deal with, you know, all storytellings of Joe have to deal with about the fact that the betrayal and the reunion are the same moment. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she chooses pretty quickly to care more about the fact that her sister is back mm-hmm. than about the fact that they betrayed her and got married. <laughs> yes. Which is just complicated. 
it is complicated. I mean, and much like Lori continuing to be jealous. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really a complicated like tangle. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of more Joe is gay fodder for the fact that she can get over it so much faster than Lori can. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Lori is sort of inscrutable in some, well, in, in this adaptation, I found him sort of even more inscrutable because of how, because I think when you lean into him being a little bit of a dick and a little bit spoiled instead of really bolstering the sincerity of his Joe obsession, (laughs) I think that you end up in a, in a confused, in a confusing land for Lori about what exactly it is that he needs and wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that that again connects to Joe's kind of dark night of the soul where like, I don't think Lori knows what he needs and wants. He's decided that it's Joe. Mm -hmm. And I think that again, for this movie, the answer is like, it's not, Mm -hmm. and it's probably not Amy either. Mm. yeah it's fascinating he's a fascinating bag of tricks yeah and something I find really interesting as well is that in the sort of idyllic scene at the end like Mm. the garden party Mm -hmm. it's this sort of dream the dream sequence it's Joe sort of walking across the lawn and gathering her sisters kind of as she goes. And it's mm. the sisters are both part of the fantasy is like, they both are very dismissive of their husbands. Like, I don't even think John Brooks is there. <laughs> like she like, glances at Professor Bear, like over on the side, doesn't really interact with him. Um, and then Amy like takes her baby and like shoves it into Lori's arms. And is like, take this and like walks. Away. It's like, <laughs> even still in her ideal fantasy, it's her sister's kind of are the most important people and and indicating that like these husbands don't matter no these marriages are nothing well that's the sort of Laurie tragedy I suppose is that what he actually wanted to be it was a sister and what he ended up being was a husband and sisters sisters matter and husbands don't yeah and that is gay that's gay that's gay it's gay it's really gay I mean it's all gay and I mean frankly as we said when we when we watched it we almost didn't need to do any of this hard-hitting deep dive conversation on the basis of Joe's last outfit alone. <laughs> yeah, watch, which is overwhelmingly lesbian culture. Watch the movie just for Joe's outfits. They are gay <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But thank you for joining us on this deep dive anyway. Oh my God. Uh, if you, you know, want to see some pictures of Joe's outfits, you can follow <gasps> us on Instagram. Yes. So many waistcoats at this movie is gay podcast. Or on Twitter at this movie is underscore gay. Uh, you can find us, you know, leave a, leave a rating, leave a review. Oh my God. Please subscribe, do Subscribe, do all those things that you're supposed to do to podcasts. And we will see you right here next week. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.